Archilla won now. Archilla. What? I would have never got that. Archilla. All Most right. people don't, so you're okay. <laughs> I forgive you. <laughs> don't do it again, though. <laughs> I got three hours, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know my story? My blessing began two weeks before I was supposed to be born. As you can tell, I have a disability. I have several palsy, which is I cannot control my nerves. Well, I got this several palsy because in a country where I'm from, it's very crowded. And my mother was coming from the last, the last doctor's appointment. And she wanted to get off the bus, but the bus driver didn't see her getting off the bus. So she took one step out and the bus took off. She's eight and a half months pregnant. Her stomach hit the pavement, hitting me in my head and her stomach. I didn't move for the next month and a half. It was almost 10 months when I came out. I didn't want to come out. <laughs> But you see, when I was born, the cord was around my neck. And they did everything to make me open my eyes and see any sign of breathing. No, no luck. They noticed I was alive because my heart was beating but nothing else. My mom lost a lot of blood. She went home about two days after. I stayed in the hospital for another month and a half. And, uh, and as I went out of the hospital, my grandma came and picked me up. They told her, your grandson would be either one or three things. He never gonna walk, never talk, be in bed all the time. Number two, he will be mentally challenged. Never get more than a third grade learning ability. And number three, and most likely, your grandson got three weeks to live. So it's up to you guys. So on the way home from the hospital, the first time I opened my eyes and started looking around, 
I guess I like cards or something. I don't know. But for the next couple of months, I was okay. But my mom started to notice something. I couldn't, I couldn't sit down and keep my balance. And from that point on, my mom noticed something more and more. And my dad, who wasn't in the country when I was born, he was so proud of having a man as a son. You see, my dad was one of those military guys that is a man's man. So when he found out that I was going to be born, he said, I'm going to take this guy everywhere. He's going to be like me. My dad is a drunk. My dad is somebody who gets a lot of women. As I got older, my dad noticed my disability and started to blame me for it. He started thinking I was the one making up my disability. I wanted the attention, so I couldn't talk, so I couldn't walk. So my dad did what most of my dad would do, beat me up with everything he, he could beat me up with because I wouldn't talk normal, because I wouldn't walk normal. I started walking when I was five, and I couldn't keep my balance. I remember if you blow on me, I would, I would go down, I would go to the ground because I didn't have no balance, no power in my legs. So to have balance, I started going like this. So like this, I feel safe, I feel Okay, but my dad didn't like it. So he took two big thorns of, of ropes, and he would, he would glue each thorn to my side. So when I went like this, a thorn will go into my flesh. And I didn't do it. So when I was nine, we left my dad. When we came over here at school, the kids would make fun of me. The kids' parents would say, he comes the drunk kid. He comes the crazy kid. So I started to realize Man, this is a curse. My mom would always be like, you can do whatever anybody can do. 
But I didn't feel that way. My mom really, really knew about God. She didn't know God. So I knew about God, but I started to hate God. I started to hate my dad. I started to hate myself. Why I was born like this? Why did I do to you, God? Why, why me, God? I want to die, God. So when I was 15, I tried to kill myself. No luck. I'm not good in anything. And I wasn't good in that. When I was 17, I started drinking and going to nightclubs and say, I want to be part of something. Maybe in the nightclubs, they would think I'm drunk. So it's okay, they will think I'm like them. I want to be like them. When I was 19, my mom started to go to church. She invited me once, and I went, okay, let's go, why not? At the end of service, I noticed a cute little girl walking to the back of the church. I'm like, let me follow her, see where she goes. And she went, she went to the youth group room. I'm like, should I go in there? Maybe not. But something made me go like, you want to talk to her? Go in there. Okay, I went in there. And for the first time, somebody met me with a hug and a gift. And I'm like, man, I like this. I like feeling part of something. Two weeks after that, I went to the, to the camp. I'm trying to get to know that girl. But God is like, no, no. I'm going to use the camp for you to know me. So Saturday night, we were all in the campfire. We were all singing. And the pastor's like, let me pray for every one of us. And we got in line. And he started praying for me. And I started crying. I felt so relieved. I felt like... I've won the lotto. I feel like I could fly. Since that time, God has worked on me. Five years later, God's like, I want you to serve me. I want you to preach my word. I'm like, they wouldn't understand me. And God gave me this verse. Oh, man, a book. Exodus 4.10. When God told to Moses, don't tell me you cannot talk. 
because I was the one who made the blind. I was the one who made the death. I will be with you. And God was saying to me, I will be with you. And my pastor, my youth pastor's like, you know what? Don't worry about it. If God is calling you, that's awesome. I'm like, why? Because people, even though they may not understand you, they need to pay attention to you. Even though they may not understand a word you're saying. And since then, God has used me. Last year, I went back and forgive my father. We have a relationship now. I told him about Christ. And you know, my curse, that was my voice. It's the biggest blessing in my life. You know, people tell me, hey, would you want God to heal you? Yes, but then God wouldn't use me the same way. You'd see my disability, it's God's ability to do his perfect work through me. I'm not that. I'm not talking to you because I think I'm the greatest talker. You can't hear that I'm not the greatest talker. But what I am, I'm in a, I'm a tool in God's hand. And I don't want to be any other way. I know God made me like this for a purpose. And in his hands, I'm able to feel, to fulfill the purpose. Thank you. Now, Art, hold on just a minute, Art. Hold on just one minute. Yeah. So, Art is doing a school of ministry at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And, and one thing I know about the school of ministry program is it was probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But I found out you're not only doing the school of ministry program, but you're also finishing your master's in business in what computer? Business project management. I mean, he's doing both at the same time. <laughs> now, I don't say that to boast in art, but the scriptures tell us in Corinthians that God chose the weak things of the world to bring down the strong. He chooses, he chooses the simple to shame the wise. So I just think that you are the scriptures alive. And I don't even know how I'm going to do a sermon after that. But <laughs> all right, God bless you. Thank you. <laughs> All right, well, tonight we're in 1 John chapter 3. We'll turn there. Gosh, that was awesome. Thanks, Art. 
I'll tell you, you know, if you're in a valley right now, if you're going through it, if you're getting hit hard, the temptation is always so overwhelming for us to say, why God? Why would you do this to me? I just want out of it. But the scriptures really teach us that God is doing something in us. He's using every situation to conform us to his likeness. So the question is, Lord, what do you want me to do in this time? How do you want me to bring glory to you? That's what I see in art. So I'm having a hard time right now. All right, 1 John chapter 1. Or chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away the sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Lord God, Father, we just pray right now that you teach us your word. Lord, we ask that you'd help us to understand it, and we ask that you'd help us to apply it to our lives, Lord. God, I pray for each and every one of us that we came in to this church building one way. I pray, God, we'd leave changed. Every time we hear your word, God, I pray that it would just change us, make us more and more like you. We give this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was June something, 2000, let's see, it was 2002, June. I was just getting ready to leave to go river rafting. And uh, we were going to go do some kind of tricky rapids. uh, And I was really excited. I'm I'm a bit of a thrill seeker. In fact, uh, that's why my wife and I are perfect for each other. She's the exact opposite. She's like, well, it's safe over here. And I'm like, yes, that's why we need to go over here. And and so I'm pretty sure I'm still alive to this day because of my wife. Uh, But uh, so I left to go river rafting. And I'm on my way up there. And the night before, my wife had given me some news. And it was messing with my mind, the news that she had given me. I'd gotten home from church, 
And uh, I, I happened to get home late that night, and she's like, are you, are you going to be home early? Yeah, I'll be home early because uh, i got something to tell you. I'm like, okay, I'll, yeah, I'll be there. Well, one of, the, one of our youth workers got in a car accident and went and helped him out, so of course I got home late, and it was a normal thing for Dave Johnson to be home late from church. But she waited up for me, and, and she gave me a coffee mug and a card. And the coffee mug said, I love you, Daddy. And I was like, wait a minute, what? Are you telling me serious? And she's like, yeah, I'm pregnant. I'm like, whoa, I was so excited. And so the next day I'm just high as a kite leaving for river rafting. And now I start thinking, what if I die? <laughs> right? <laughs> Those are the things you start thinking about. Like, wait a minute, what's going to happen? So I was like, oh, just get that stuff out of your head, Dave. The very, as soon as we launched the boat, we go down the first rapid, we got hit with this lateral wave, and the whole boat flips, and it was a mess. And then the boat after us flipped, and the boat after them flipped. We all flipped. And then it was just this mess cleaning it up. So somehow I find myself riding, standing on a boat, trying to jump to another boat that's lodged against some rocks, and then get out of there in time before I get pinned against some rocks, and I think while I'm doing this, Lord God, I need your help because I don't want to die. But I'll tell you, when I saw Elise Kayla born on February 5th, 2013, something happened to me that was absolutely incredible. For the first time in my life, I understood God's love in a much deeper way. There was this little baby. And this little baby that I saw, I just loved. From the moment I saw her head. I just loved her. I know it sounds kind of gross, but, you know, and I, was, I just was in love. And I've been in love with her ever since. John, in finishing from chapter 2, he said, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. I think he pauses for a minute to contemplate the love of God. The love that God has lavished upon us. See what kind of love? Behold. The, the word there is, is behold or see. And it means just grab hold of it with your eyes. Ponder it. And of course, we can't really look at it. So the, the idea is that you would, you would think about it. That you would contemplate how much God loves you. So much so, so to send Jesus Christ, his son, to die in your place on that cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have life everlasting. God loves us so much. Not just enough to die for us, but to actually transform us. To conform us more and more to our, his likeness, and then to call us children. To adopt us as his very own. Some of you know what adoption is, and, and as many, some of you have actually gone through the process of adoption, and you've adopted, and, and um, you're more familiar with it than I am. I'm only familiar with adoption from people I know who have been adopted, or people who have adopted. But here's what I know about adoption. Adoption is to take something that's not yours, someone who is not yours, who doesn't belong to you, who you have no value or investment in, and to make them your own. And to consider them as your own. 
and to invest in them and to love them as your own. That's adoption. And and that's exactly what Jesus Christ did by paying that price for us on the cross and imputing his righteousness to us, putting his righteousness upon us, is he allows us to be adopted by God the Father. So we find here, as John thinks about the love of God, that God's love is manifested in us and his children. Same with my child. The love I give to her, the love I invest in her, it manifests itself in her. She starts to act differently. She's going to love the way I love. I'm teaching her. You know, Art's dad didn't teach him much about love in the beginning. He had to get a new father, a heavenly father to teach him. But the more, the more I invest in my child, the more it becomes manifested in her. And that's what God is doing with us. He, the, you know, I jumped, I jumped a whole point, sorry. <laughs> when we think about being loved by God, we have to understand that we're greatly loved by God. And we're given a new position. The old position was an enemy of God. That's what the Bible tells us. That we were dead in our sins and our transgressions. We were enemies of God. God's wrath was coming against us. That doesn't sound so good. I think I, I, think I might not have to stand over here. There's a buzz if I come here or here. So I've got this space here to work with. Stay in the box. So now I'm voguing. I don't know what's going on. For all the, the, those of you who were around in the 80s, thank you for getting my joke. <laughs> so, uh, but the Bible tells us that we're enemies of God, that God's wrath was coming against us, that, that we don't deserve anything. In fact, the only thing we deserve is punishment. And, and it's not that we are, could possibly go to hell. It's not that we could possibly be judged as evil and, go and, and, and have to spend an eternal damnation. It's not a flip of the coin. The fact is, is we will be judged and go to hell. There's no other option. Hell is the only option before Jesus Christ came. There was nothing else. Because the problem was we had this sin issue. We had sinned. We had broken the laws of an eternal, infinite God, a creator. Well, praise God that God is a loving God. And he had the foreknowledge and the plan in action before he even created. The Bible tells us that before the foundations of the earth, Christ was chosen. I mean, think about that for a minute. God loved you before you were even ever a thought in your parents' minds. God loved you before he even created the earth. God loved. John contemplating this. See what love. Behold this love that the Father has lavished upon us. Not only do we receive a new position as children of God, heirs with Christ, the Bible says, co-heirs with Christ, but we're also a new person, the Bible tells us. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. This love that God has lavished upon us through Jesus Christ, our Lord, changes our position. 
and it changes us as people. And we become new creations, no longer bound and chained to sin, no longer bound by religious practice, but now set free to love God. Galatians 6.15, Paul is correcting the Galatian church on a, or actually warning them and correcting them at the same time about a heresy that had crept into the church. Heresy is that doctrine in which goes against the scriptures. It's a teaching that is not right according to the scriptures. And he is, Paul is hitting head on the Judaizers, which were those Jews who were trying to go into the church and say, okay, yeah, we're, we're glad you're a Christian now. That's great. We're great that the Gentiles have become Christians, the non-Jews. But now you've got to start practicing all the law. You've got to go get circumcised. You've got to go get, uh, you know, get ready for the temple worship. And you've got to prepare for sacrifices and do all the ritual cleanings. And you've got to do all this stuff now. And Paul says this in correcting. He says, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. That's what matters to God. You being a new creation in Christ Jesus. God did not give you life through Jesus Christ for you to be circumcised or for you to be religious. He gave you life that you would be a new creation in him. Someone who's in relationship with him. Look at verses 2 through 3 with me for a minute here. It says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Think about this for a minute. God has an end goal for you. There's, an, there's a purpose that you're moving towards. And that purpose is to be like Christ. Here's what I know about Dave Johnson. <laughs> if I compare myself to Christ, I don't even think I'd make it onto the map. <laughs> nope, I'm not even there. I, I know I am not even close to Christ. And every time my sin nature pops up, every time I, I get frustrated with my kids or, or when I'm being asked to do some chore around the house or whatever the case is, I know, all right. <laughs> how would Christ respond? Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, I know when I'm challenged to love people that are really unlovely at that moment. You guys know what I'm talking about. In fact, you're thinking about somebody, right? No. <laughs> but when I'm being challenged to forgive or to love, man, am I confronted by my sin nature. Because it's so hard to live like Christ. And John tells us, don't worry. Chillax for a minute. Take it easy. Because Christ isn't finished with you. He's doing this work as you live out in him. Because we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we'll see him as he is. It's interesting because while we live out life on this earth, we will continue to persevere for through. We will continue to strive to be like him more and more, challenged. But John tells us that when we see him, it'll, his work is finished in us. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I've thought about this a lot. That when Christ returns, 
And when, he is, when God establishes the new heavens and the new earth, and we're with God in eternity, God doesn't take away our will or our desire or anything like that. We're still people. We're still free moral beings. We can still make choices. We've been given a new body. That's one of the differences. But our, our soul is still our soul, the Bible tells us. But we no longer have this desire to sin anymore. It's gone in us. The work is finished. We've seen Christ, and it's done. I'm looking forward to that day. <laughs> Amen? I'm looking forward to that day. When it, I won't desire sin anymore. So we'll be like him when he appears. We've been given a new purpose. John has been talking about this purpose over and over, and we, we see it all throughout this passage, to abide in him. In 1 John, this theme keeps coming up, abide in him, abide in him, live in him, make choices in him. Everything you do as you walk, as you move, when you're at work, Whatever you're doing, how you parent, how you, you are as a husband or a wife, abide in him. Live in Christ. Every decision is in Christ. You know, there's a temptation, and I don't think this is from the Lord at all. I think this is from the enemy. Maybe it's even from ourselves. Maybe it's just something that we, we because we're delusional by nature, we buy into. And, and what that is, I saw you laughing when I said delusional by nature. Sorry. <laughs> so <laughs> I came to church and you're calling me delusional? <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> but there's something we buy into. We, we say a sinner's prayer. We say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need what you did for me on that cross. Forgive me of my sin. And we started this new relationship with Jesus Christ. And we begin to walk in him. And there's, there's a zealousness, there's a fervency, there's a passion when we come to Jesus Christ and make him our Lord and Savior. We are excited. We get into the word. I don't know about you, but when I first gave my life to Christ, I couldn't stop reading it. I, it was like I couldn't get enough of the word of God. It was this insatiable thirst for it. But then time sets in. Church life sets in. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, it sets in, and that fervency drops off, that desire to be more and more like Christ. Maybe it's because we become Jesus freaks to everybody around us. I, I don't know what it is. But something in us starts just saying, well, you're this way because you're Irish. You're this way because you're Italian. You don't need to change that about you. You're doing pretty good. You're going to church. And we start going... I'm good. I'm good. And we start excusing sin in our lives. We start doing exactly what is not abiding in Christ. We start living as ourselves, not living in Christ. So John goes further to challenge us and says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. The law in the Old Testament, I know we kind of see the law as a bad guy from the New Testament perspective because we're set free from the law. But the law, Paul tells us, is not evil. In fact, Christ said, I came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. 
The, the, the law, the Ten Commandments, those aren't evil. It's not a taskmaster. In fact, it's from God. By nature, it's, it's who God is. It's his standard of purity. So it's not evil. But man, do we make it evil. We start calling good bad and bad good. And we find out that there's this war going on within us that the good we want to do, as Paul says it, isn't what we do, but it's the evil that we, want, that we don't want to do that we do. Because sin's seizing that opportunity to us and it entices us and we can't, oh, I gotta have that, I gotta do it. And so lawlessness is not of God. If we're going to claim to be of God, if we're going to claim to be in Jesus Christ, lawlessness would not be an attribute that you are in Christ. Rather, righteousness. That's the attribute. Now, we're not under the law as far as the formality of it. We're not under the law as far as being judged by it anymore. When you get to, when we get go before the Lord, it won't be, well, let's see, did you okay, you you sinned here, you sinned here, you sinned here. No, it's not going to be like that. Because the Bible tells us that Christ steps up at that moment. He is our defender, our great shield. We talked about that in chapter 1. Christ steps up and said, "No, no, my blood covers this one. Our name is written in the book of life." So that's where the law doesn't apply to us anymore. But then more than that, God, the Bible says that God put his spirit in our hearts. He's given us his Holy Spirit. And this is prophesied back in Ezekiel when God says a time is coming. And by the way, I'm paraphrasing this. A time is coming where I'll remove that heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh. And my law will be upon their hearts. It'll be motivated from inside to, to be righteous, to want to please God, to, the desire to, because God is holy, I want to be holy. Now, I know there's been some talk about we want to please God because of happiness or whatever. I didn't read the whole thing this week, and maybe you've heard that, but listen, that's an absolute heresy. Just throw that stuff out if you heard that this week, the statement about um, we, God wants us to be happy ultimately. And No, listen, God wants to have eternity with you, God wants to have a relationship with you. He's done all the work. But we're not obedient because we want to be happy. We're obedient because God demands it. Because of his righteousness. The awesome part is he's put his spirit in our hearts. So that it's not like a slave master anymore. It's what we desire to do. So John goes on to say that you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. God is not lawless. He doesn't produce lawlessness. You see, it's really important to understand that sin is the product of ignorance and blindness towards God. That's what sin is. Sin is for someone who is ignorant of God. Sin is for someone who is blind towards God. Those who have eyes to see, ears to hear, and are in relationship with God, are no longer ignorant to God's expectations, to his standards. They're no, no longer blind towards that which brings life versus that which brings death. It's kind of like when I came, became a Christian, it was like for the first time I could see clearly. Like I understood what life was all about, the purpose God had for me. And, and all of a sudden it was like, wow, he's removed the blinders from my eyes. 
And now I can see clearly what God desires versus convincing myself that, oh, no, this is pretty good. I'm pretty, pretty much a good person. No, as soon as I got into the word, well, no, that's not at all pretty much a good person. That's the exact opposite of what God calls a pretty good person. Pretty good people are found in Christ. They're washed by his blood. They're put on, they put on clean garments. And we get, begin to live, abide in him. As we've been... Reading through here, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, and as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. It's really important that when my kids go out and they are at someone's house, that they don't bring shame on our family. We've talked about that a lot. You know, how they respond, how they act in school. You're not to bring shame on our family. Well, I expect you to, to hold up a standard. And it's not like a, I'm a pastor, so you've got to, I don't do that at all with my kids. In fact, if you know my kids, they're just like, what? <laughs> Claire's doing her thing. Lucy's doing her thing. telling everybody what to do. Uh, Elise is, uh, for the most part, the, the best one. But now she's getting the tween attitude, so she, she kind of goes, oh, rolls her eyes and stuff. I'm like, What? Do it without attitude that time. So, but I, Laura and I expect our kids to, to reflect us, reflect our family name. And I'll tell you, if they go to someone's house and we find out that they were terrible or whatever, they're going to be in trouble and they know it. You know what, the same is true if we're a child of God. If we've been adopted, we should act as such. We should no longer act as children of the world or children of the devil, as John says, the one who's been sinning from the beginning, but we should be acting as children of light, children who have been born of Christ, born anew, that new creation, not just being content with ongoing sin in our lives. You know, some sin is hard to break, and sometimes the attitude is like, I just can't do it. I just got to give up. Oh, I'll make an excuse for it. I'll do this. Well, it's okay if we, do, if, if we think this way. Or it's, it's okay, you know, for single couples. Well, we're pretty much married, right? We're, we're intending on being married. Um, for, for, for men, it's like, well, you know, it's just, you know, things aren't going as well with my wife as I, they should be going. So it's okay if I look online at things I shouldn't look at. Whatever your justification for sin is, Oh, you know what? You know, this isn't really gossip. This isn't really slandered. I'm just telling the facts about that person. Whatever your justification is for sin, you need to be in the Word of God. Act as a child of God, not a child of the world. I know this is hard. You're like, whoa, man, you're kind of hitting us with the... Well, listen, I'm just telling you the truth. This is what John is saying. If you're going to be a child of the light, if you're going to say you're born of God then you're going to act like it. You're going to represent the Lord. You're not going to represent the devil. He goes on to say this, that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. I hope my wife's okay with me sharing this, but I just am always amazed every time I talk to her and see her and... and um, so we'll see how this goes tonight. 
it's coffee. It's only coffee. So uh, I see this more so in my wife than anything um, about someone who Christ has destroyed the works of the devil. Not saying that my wife was the devil, but, <laughs> well, this is already going bad. <laughs> she was raised in a household where everybody was drinking all the time. It was a constant party. And she herself in high school was inebriated quite a bit from, I didn't know her in high school. Um, but from what she's told me about, she would, was really into partying and all this sort of stuff. And I, I, I think it was when she was seven, uh, she was on the porch with a bottle of vodka or something. You know, I mean, that was just the household she was raised in. And that was the same road she was going down. But all of a sudden, that all changed. She's in Christ. That family alcoholism, that party spirit, it all changed in her. Because the work of the devil had been destroyed in her. And she's a new creation. Whatever the bondage that you are going through, whatever your family has passed on to you, bad temper, outrages, fighting, foul language, Whatever it is that, that has been passed to you, whatever you were taught, Art was taught to be abusive. That's what he was taught. Whatever you were taught, Jesus Christ appeared to destroy that work of the devil and to make you new. The question, though, is are you reaching into your resources? Are you getting into the Word of God? Because that's what we should be doing every day. All of us is getting into the word of God. All right, Lord, how can I be more like you? I'm getting ready for your return. I'm getting ready to see you as you are. And I'd love to be a little bit closer than where I'm at right now. I want to be more like you. I want to be that new creation. So no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. By this it is evident, verse 10, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Earlier, John tells them in this passage, don't let anyone deceive you, in verse 7. Little children, don't let anyone deceive you. And so he wants to make sure, oh, I see eyes going up, so I'm like, what's going on behind me? He wants to make sure that, hey, don't be deceived by this. Know for certainty, this is how you can tell those who are born of God and those who are not, who are of the devil. Those who continue on in sin, don't trust them. Because he wants to guard this church, little church in Ephesus. John wants to make sure that they're not deceived by these antichrists, which we talked about last week. These apostates who have this appearance of holiness or this appearance of religion, but are not at all, not at all pleasing to God. They twist the truth, what we talked about last week. So here's the fruit check. This is how you can see the fruit. Is those who are okay with sin and those who are not. Well, that comes down to you being in the Word. Getting into the Word of God, inspecting it daily, meditating on it, chewing on it, getting it in you so that you know, yeah, you know, I'm pretty sure it's not okay for us to act this way. And now, by the way, I know no one wants to be the one to say, like, oof, probably shouldn't do this, we shouldn't do that. But listen, it's all about abiding in him. It's not about justifying our sin. It's about 
reflecting him in all the areas of life that we can. Going back to that sin, that bondage that maybe some of you are struggling with. Again, I want to encourage you, and I've been saying it for a few weeks now. All the resources of God are given to you. His Holy Spirit, His Word, the fellowship of believers, all the resources of God are, are available to you. But you need to turn from your sin. You need to repent of it. You need to say, Lord, I know that this is not pleasing to you. Remember what John said in chapter 1? Confess it. Confess it to the Lord and turn towards Him. And you'll be forgiven. He'll forgive you. Because you know what? His death was sufficient for you. But you've got to turn. You've got to repent. And then you start moving forward with it. You start getting into the Word. Memorizing the Scriptures. Listen, if you struggle, struggle with anger, start memorizing Scriptures about anger. If you're struggling with lust, start memorizing Scriptures that have to do with that. Because you don't want to convince yourself that something is okay. If you're struggling with gossip or slander, well, you know what? Take a card with you and just start saying that card. And when you're at the workplace and you're so tempted to talk about so-and-so, Sheila with the crazy hair in the back, you say, hey, you know what? i got to share this verse with you that I found. <laughs> All right, I've seen reactions right now, and I'm not, I'm not sure if I hit something or whatever. But anyway, I've got to share this verse with you that God taught me this weekend as I was in his word or last night. Start taking the scripture with you because the Bible tells us that the word of God is powerful and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, separating joint and marrow, bones and marrow. It will penetrate to the deepest, darkest part of us and change us. So let me encourage with that. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time in your word. And Lord, we want to be more and more like you. God, we thank you that we have a hope in you. And, Lord, one day we'll have arrived, Lord. We'll see you as you are, Lord. And you'll conform us completely to your likeness, new body and all. But until that day, Lord, just help us. And listen, if there's anyone here in this room tonight that has not yet given their lives to Jesus Christ, that hasn't gotten that forgiveness available to them that Christ offers at the cross, I want to offer that to you. If there's a sin that you need to repent of, now's the time to do it. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on that cross for me. Forgive me of my sin. I repent of it now. I turn from it, Lord. Help me to be a follower of you. I want to cross over from death to life as your word teaches us. We thank you, Lord. Amen.